you remain standing for the reading of the word? Good morning. Today's reading will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 8. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Bethany. Uh, For those that don't know, that's Bethany Moran. That is Nick Moran's uh, wife. And, uh, and, and they are expecting their first child. Praise God, right? I, I hope everybody knew that, by the way. I don't, so I'm sure they've made that post on Instagram or something. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is R.C. Ford. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm delighted that you, you've chosen to be with us today. Um, open up your Bibles to Acts 6. Yes, we're in a study of Hebrews, but I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking you to go to Acts here in a minute. Uh, we're in, actually, we're in week nine of a series called By Faith, uh, walking through verse by verse and chapter 11, known as the, the Hall of Faith, looking at uh, men and women in the Old Testament uh, who, who displayed great, great faith. And, and one of the things that we've been learning really from the start is that uh, biblical faith is not just uh, vague optimism or uh, wishful thinking or a blind leap right in front of us. That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is, is actually, it's a confident trust in God, who he is, what he says and what he has done by revealing himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what biblical faith is. And we've seen these men and women in Hebrews 11 display that kind of faith. They, they not only believed that the only way that they would ever be right with God that they had wronged was by faith in Jesus. They believed that, but they knew that their faith would have to manifest itself. It would have to, their lives would have to look different. As Martin Luther said, yes, we are saved by faith alone, but a faith that saves is never alone. And their faith changed the way that they lived their lives. It wasn't just an intellectual agreement, a, a verbal prayer out of their mouth. It, it changed the way they lived. They, they lived differently. They obeyed the Bible. And they loved doing that. It wasn't begrudging obedience. They loved to do those things. They, they trusted what God said. They followed his word. They had great endurance. They had great courage. And many of them, because they had great faith, it paved the way to their persecution, not to their prosperity. Look at verse 11, 36 and 37. Again, we've read this before. By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated all because of their great faith. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews there is referring to Old Testament heroes. So he's looking back um, in context. However, what we're going to do for the next two weeks, we're actually going to look at some of the New Testament heroes who, who continued these great acts of faith. We're going to do that for a couple of weeks. Today, we're going to start by looking um, at the very first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. Uh, He's most known for, of course, being the first Christian martyr. His name actually means crown. And you'll see that in just a few minutes and you'll know why. Now, the life of Stephen is recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 6 and 7. He's got two chapters. And really, the life of Stephen can be kind of put into these four quarters. Um, I believe his life is kind of put into this idea of, that Stephen served, Stephen was seized, Stephen preached a sermon, and then Stephen was stoned. Those are the, the, really the four chapters of his life. And I think today by us looking at the life of Stephen, we're going to see uh, this idea of what faith actually does. And so I think what, what we're going to see, four things, we're going to see that faith does the small things, faith is calm in the chaos, faith preaches, and faith takes courage. So we're going to look at that. Acts 6 and 7, really, we don't have time to cover two chapters. Um, I'm really trying to be more clock conscious. And recently, the Pat Spirit, I mean, the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And uh, I said, hey, you know, watch your sermon time. So we're going to try to get through this without going verse by verse. So let's look at the first thing. By faith, do the small thing. So in Acts 6, let me give you some context here of what's happening. Uh, Jesus Christ has, has already uh, lived, he's died, he's resurrected, and, and he's ascended back to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's handed, out, handed off the baton, the great commission, to the disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, he then sent the Holy Spirit God in us as the helper. Peter went on to preach a sermon at Pentecost and we're told that thousands were saved. They were being baptized, coming to faith. And then Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, said they started to live in these little communities. They began to read the word together in homes. They broke bread in homes. They started sharing possessions. They functioned in what we call at LifePoint, life groups. Are you in a life group? The early church had life groups. We have life groups, and they're very good for you, right? They're biblical, and they're also very, very good. Uh, so the church is kind of thriving uh, right here in this moment, but, but something changes. So let's read this in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you the seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So what happened was the church is exploding in growth and and that's a really, really good thing. However, the apostles began to get really stretched thin. They became uh, so overwhelmed with the amount of people and the needs of the people, they just were not meeting the needs, the practical needs of their church members. And there was a complaint that arose from the Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking Jews. And they felt that their widows were being neglected. So they come to the apostles, the apostles hear their case, and, and they call a, a, a church meeting. See, the apostles, their primary responsibilities were the preaching of the word and the prayers, right? And so they, they just simply, they couldn't get around to everybody. They couldn't answer all the texts and all the emails and all the calls, and they couldn't be everywhere as the pastor. So they said, hey, we have a problem. We need to do something about them. And they come together, they pitch the case to the congregation. They say, hey, pick seven men from among you who will serve tables. Now, this idea of serving tables, it literally just means the practical ministry of the, of the believers in the church. It could be financial. It could be practic- practical needs. They're, that's what they were called to do. They needed someone to do those things. And by the way, this is where we believe the office or the idea of deacons came from in the church. Serving the practical needs of the church. Deacons in the room, you pray for us every week. We get you involved. I'm very thankful for your service in our church. We are thankful for it, even when we don't tell you. Uh, I'm thankful because it, it, it allows me to, to focus primarily on my responsibility to pray and to minister the word to you. So deacons, thank you. If you're a member of our church, you have a deacon uh, embrace them and allow them to care for you. But as they're choosing these men, they choose Stephen first. He's the first one listed. There's a few others listed there, but Stephen's the first one. And he's really the only one that gets ink following here. And they chose him. It says that because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Basically, it meant about Stephen that his life, he was full of faith, meaning that every aspect of Stephen's life was full of faith. Every domain of his life, from his personal relationships, his financial life, his relational life, his spiritual life, every domain of his life was full of faith. It wasn't like he was good at going to church, but God, you can't have my finances and I'm not going to do this and my relationships, I'll do it my way. No, he was full of faith and that's what it means to be full of faith. He was also full of the Holy Spirit, which is often called the forgotten God, right? He was full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean in this context? Well, it means that every decision in Stephen's life was made and controlled by the Holy Spirit as opposed to his feelings, his circumstances, and his experiences. Holy Spirit guided him and what he chose to do. I meet a lot of Christians, sadly to say, and they live their life and they make all these decisions in their life based upon their feelings, their emotions, 
and their experiences. Why do you do what you do? Well, because when I, one time I believe this has happened to me and I don't want that to ever happen again. Maybe that's true, but people who are full of faith are full of the Holy Spirit and they make decisions in their life based upon God's word and they are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that was Stephen. Stephen also had a good reputation, good man of good repute, good character. When people in the church heard the name Stephen, good guy. They chose him. They nominated him. What's he going to do with this? Really? I mean, like if, if Stephen is looking to climb the spiritual ladder in the church to reach the top, apostle level, I want to do really high things. I want to bedazzle my, my bio. I want to be an apostle. I want to preach to thousands like Peter just did. If, is that the way he's going to play it? Is he going to look at serving tables to widows as beneath him? No, he embraced it. He embraced the small things because that's what faith does. Faith does the small things. In a few short verses, we're going to see Stephen's great faith preaching. Preaching. A sermon. A sermon that, that ultimately is a catalyst in the conversion of Saul to Paul, which ultimately led to a worldwide missional movement of Christianity, which is a great act of faith. But God wanted him, before he would do such things, he needed him to be faithful to the little things, to the small things. Before Stephen preached a sermon, he served tables served tables nothing was beneath Stephen he didn't consider himself too high to do such a task I think in when we look at when we hear great acts of faith when it, when it comes to us and we think of what does great acts of faith look like I think it's very easy for us to kind of go towards miracles great big ministry, perhaps even uh, being a martyr. The martyrs, oh, those are great acts of faith that we see in church history. I think our minds go quickly to there when in reality, great acts of faith look a lot more common. Great acts of faith often look like holding a door when someone's walking in and saying hello. Hello or holding a baby in a preschool hallway in a room while a mom ministered by the word and worships Jesus. I think, I think great acts of faith look like that. Great acts of faith, they many times come and they look in what seemingly looks like the little things. I say seemingly because they're really not, but in our eyes, it, it seems to be that way by faith in the little things, by faith being, being baptized, by being baptized in response and obedience to the gospel. Many times it's by faith doing daily Bible reading and prayer, which is spiritual breathing. Individually doing that. Doing that with our family. Every time that you do that, it's a great act of faith. By faith, 
belonging to a church. Not being a churchless Christian, but belonging to a church, committing to the ministry of attendance at the church. I would contend that a faith that doesn't get you to church is probably not going to get you to heaven. It's a great act of faith. Every time you come here on Sunday, it's a great act of faith. It said, God, I believe you. I trust your word. I know that you're gonna reward this in some way. It's a great act of faith every time that we come into this place. By faith is serving. Serving like Stephen. By faith, it might be serving your spouse in your own home, outdoing one another for each other's good. By faith, serving your local church. By faith, holding a door. By faith, holding a baby. By faith, serving in kids' ministry, cultivating a mind of Christ for moms and dads who just can't do it alone. By faith, leading a group, a life group, a discipleship group. By faith, serving in our production team to, to amplify my voice and make the sounds better up here. By faith, becoming a part of the song team up here. Like some of you, you have a gift. Use it. These are great acts of faith. And if you are serving in this church, in any of those capacities, thank God for you. I thank God for you all the time because every time that you do that, it is a great act of faith. And like Stephen, may we never say that anything is above us. If this is what the Christ needs and if this is what the church does, let me just be faithful in that. In the little things, Some of you need to show a great act of faith in the little things of just giving, just giving. And I'm talking about, yes, I'm talking about money because Jesus talks about giving money. So that's what we're gonna do at our church. It's, faithful, it's a faithful act to tithe. Do you, do you understand how, how great of an act of faith it is to tithe? to trust God's word, to believe it, to obey it, and then he's actually going to reward you because of it, that takes incredible faith. Every time you tithe, it is a great act of faith. And there are a lot of people, and they know with their, with their mouths, they're supposed to say, I am supposed to be willing, and I would be willing to give my life for the gospel, but they won't give their tithe for the gospel. Start with the little things. Be faithful with the little things because here's the deal. Jesus rewards people who are faithful in the little things, doesn't he? Matthew 25, 21. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. Church, if you 
with your profession say that you have faith and that you not only believe in God, but you believe God. You believe his word and you believe that he rewards those who seek him. What is your little small thing that he's wanting you to be faithful to? Is it serving? Is it giving? Is it Bible reading? Is it prayer? What, whatever the case is, be faithful to the little things and watch God do incredible things in your life. Now, in this section, I want to say something really quickly. I talked about serving as an act of faith, a small thing. Uh, today, we're, we're, we're ramping up our ministries for the fall. We need a lot of people who by faith are willing to do the little things and serve. We need them. Reality is, is we need people. And so uh, in preschool and kids ministry and student ministry and other aspects of our church. And so today, as you leave, there's going to be a table smack in the middle of the lobby out there. We put that there so you can't side skirt it. But um, it's, it's kind of out there in the middle, and Kathy will be there, uh, Nick will be there, Jordan will be there, someone from staff, and, and all you just have to say is yes. Just say yes. Let us walk through that with you. Um, and, 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 and listen, you might be a little uncomfortable today in that. That's okay. I, I'm okay with you being a little uncomfortable if you're not serving in this church because I hope that that discomfort will lead you to say yes to the Lord and, and he'll just do incredible things in your life and, and you'll, you'll grow beyond uh, your imagination. So let's go to the second section here. By faith, stay calm in chaos. Look at verse eight through 15 or 14. Here we go. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said to him, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So Stephen's been, he's faithful in his role as, as serving and all these kind of things. And what, what does Stephen's faith earn him? It doesn't earn him a promotion. It earns him persecution. <laughs> I mean, like it wasn't long. He's out there and, and accusations are beginning to hurl at him that he's speaking blasphemous words and all this chaos starts to ensue in Stephen's life because of his faith. He gets himself in some hot waters, opposition, arrogant unbelief because he's living sent. You ever, ever faced anything kind of like that? You're being faithful 
you are, um, you are living sent, and you encounter someone in your life, and I'm talking about you meet arrogant unbelief. And I'm talking hostile people pushing back and, and just kind of stirring you up. I, I, we went on a trip to Israel um, uh, seven years ago, I think, something like that. And man, it was a, such an eye-opening experience to me. I never experienced anything like it in my life. From the flight to, uh, to all of our travels in Israel, we encountered Orthodox Jews everywhere we went. And I have never in my life met more self-righteous, arrogant unbelief in my entire life. I'm talking from the moment we're standing in line at the airports. Orthodox Jews everywhere, dressed in all of their garb and phylacteries and everything that they had. And then they're just stepping over everybody. You Gentile dogs, get out of the way. And they're pushing up in front of us. We get onto the plane and they, they won't sit down when the stewardess tell them to sit down. They stand up right in front of your face. And they don't care what you're doing. They look upon you like you are a dog. And they did it there. They, everywhere we went in Israel and all the trips and we weren't uh, practicing all the temple laws and we went to the Wailing Wall. Everywhere we, we, we just met with arrogant unbelief and opposition. And there's, I mean, it it just, oh God, it got a rage in me. I wanted to punch him in the face for the glory of God. (laughs) That, I think Stephen's probably feeling some of that is my point. (laughs) Arrogant, unbelief, self-righteousness. I don't know what you're talking about, that kind of thing. And he's facing that. Hostile crowd foaming at the mouth. They're gnashing their teeth in anger, we'll see in just a moment. Yet, Stephen doesn't get angry. He doesn't punch them in the mouth. (laughs) He, He remains calm. He's a man full of faith. He's a man full of the spirit. Remember when someone's full of the spirit, full of faith, they don't react in emotions? Even in that, now he's still speaking, He's not shrinking back as a coward. He's not silent. He's still speaking. He's telling them they're wrong, but he's calm. He's full of patience. He's full of grace. Stephen is teaching us how we are to engage and react in a world that is full of opposition to Jesus. He's paving the way. I think the reason he knows, he's full, of the, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of faith. I think Stephen also knows that the ultimate battle is not with flesh and blood. Stephen knows he's battling the prince of, uh, of evil and the darkness and a spiritual battle. He knows that, so that's why he doesn't get mad when lost people act like lost people. You know what I mean? He's not like, I can't believe you're doing this. He's like, yeah, I know why you're doing this, because you're spiritually dead. I'm battling the devil here. And so he remains calm. They don't push his buttons. He's full of faith, full of patience. What this teaches us, clearly, it's a a very early pattern uh, that's, that's paving the way for us to know that in this world we will have trouble. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. Faith promises us eternal life, but it doesn't promise us easy life, right? So we're going to face a lot of opposition 
At least if we're really living as Christians, we're going to face the opposition. And it's very easy for us to lose our composure. I've I've talked about this before. You know, you you get on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or whatever whatever you do, social media, and oh my goodness, it's so easy, so easy to lose your cool. I can't tell you how many times I was like, I see a post and I'm like, ooh, I'm firing back now. And I like think twice, post once, and I stop and I pull myself back and ah, delete. Because it's easy to get baited in to lose your cool, right? Stephen is teaching us again that there is a bigger issue at hand when you face unbelief. There's a spiritual battle going on with an individual. That's why they act the way that they act. Kyle Gowen, who's one of my greatest friends, he's my office buddy next door to me. One thing that Kyle Gowen has always said, um, he says this. He says, the problem is not the problem. His point is, is that there's always, when there's a problem, there's always something underneath it. And that's what I believe is to be the case here. When we encounter opposition, the problem is not the problem. The problem is a spiritual issue. It is a matter of the heart. And that's always what's going on in the minds of unbelievers. We are to be calm. Let's go to the next section. By faith, we preach. By faith, we preach, and we, we all preach. Uh, now, let me say this. Uh, let me just read this really quickly. Acts 7, 1, kind of 2 here. And it says this. And the high priest said, are these things so? They said these things to Stephen. Are all these things true that you've done? And he says this. Brothers and fathers, hear me. Now, he's facing this bloodthirsty crowd. They're accusing him of blasphemy. And, and his response to their accusation is simply what is called Stephen's sermon, okay? And Stephen's sermon is recorded really in chapter 7 of Acts 2 through 50. Um, Again, we don't have time to cover all of that, Uh, but it's basically a condensed version of Israel's history. It's what he kind of just summarizes the Old Testament um, in a few words. 1 through 8, he talks about Abraham, and Abraham and his purpose and what he was doing. And uh, he goes on in, I think, 9 through 16, he talks about Joseph and Israel and Egypt and all those kind of things. And then he spends some ink, uh, probably the most ink on Moses in verse 17 through 44. Um, then he, he goes off with a, a brief explanation of Joshua, David, and Solomon. So he's just kind of summarizing the Old Testament. He's got all these different things he's saying, but really... The reality is Stephen's sermon only has one point. The one point of Stephen's sermon is he's trying to connect all of the Israel Old Testament dots to Jesus. He's trying to show them all these people from start to finish, they all point to Jesus Christ. I think he's doing a lot here in his preaching I think, number one, he's giving a defense, which he's giving a defense of the gospel uh, before 1 Peter 3 was even written by Peter. He's giving a defense. By the way, that's what Peter wants us to do. He's called us to give a defense of the gospel. So that's the first thing Stephen's doing. He's giving a defense of what he believes. The second thing is, is he's, he's obeying the Great Commission. 
Remember, Jesus said, go for, therefore make disciples of all nations. So he's going out there. He's trying to preach the gospel. He wants other people to know Jesus. Sounds like a simplistic thing, doesn't it? Stephen, and he doesn't want to be a spiritual shut-in. He doesn't just want to privatize his life. Okay, I'm good with Jesus, and I just want to be a, a part of a church, us four, no more, shut the door. I don't need anybody else in here. It's just us. That's not Stephen. He actually wanted other people to know Jesus, to know the good news of the gospel. He wanted, I think he wanted Jerusalem to be a Christian city. He wanted the, the city that he lived in, the city, he wanted to be a Christian city. He wanted righteousness to reign. He wanted evil eradicated, all of Satan's lies and predators. He wanted them all out. He wanted a place where the government ruled with a righteous hand on the truth of God's word. He wanted those things like we want those things. He wanted a city where there were no pride parades, just like we want a city like that, right? He wanted all of those things. But you see, Stephen knew that there was no way ever that Jerusalem could be a Christian city and that people would have a heart change and a life change if they did not hear the gospel. He knew that. He knew, he knew that they needed a spiritual awakening, a rebirth, a regeneration. And he knew that the gospel is the only cure for sin. He knew these things. They had to hear the gospel. And how could they ever hear the gospel? How could they ever have faith if no one ever preached the gospel to them? Without someone preaching, they could not hear the good news. Again, we learn a lot of things just quickly here about Stephen. We cannot be spiritual shut-ins, church. We cannot go inwardly focused and just say, me and my family are good. I don't care about anybody else. We cannot do that. We have to engage lost people we have to give a defense for what we believe. Not just on social media, but in person. We have to obey the Great Commission. We have to desire that other people come to Christ. We have to remember, though, as we go out, that the primary mission of the church is not to be religious referees who are just throwing penalty flags at all of the acts of unrighteousness. Uh, that's just not our, that's not our mission. That's not our primary mission, right? All that would ever do, if we just go out and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, can you just behave like a Christian? You know what that's going to produce? England. Now, here's what I mean. Christian nation spiritually dead 
It's a lot of behavior modification, uh, but they're dead corpses because Christianity is a spiritual religion. It requires heart change, desires, rebirth, regeneration, and you cannot produce a Christian by telling them how to act. It requires them hearing the gospel and us preaching the gospel. One of the things that, that, that gets me today as we see these such political wars happening in our world with the left and the right, we see things like hyper-Christian nationalists who they want to save the nation, but they don't care about saving their neighbor. Oh, they, they want to save America, but they don't want to save Americans. You see what I'm saying there? If we do that, the church has lost its mission and woe to us. We have to take the gospel to people who are lost. It's the whole church's responsibility to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. We must preach by faith. Let's go to the last section here. By faith, take courage. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, Stephen's sermon, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen preaches a sermon. He gives this invitation. He gives a response time. Zero people come up and give their life to Christ. No salvations, no decisions for Christ. In fact, they were outraged, like gnashing of teeth at his sermon. Some of y'all might want to gnash your teeth when I get down preaches on Sunday sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like it's a failure. Of course, we know that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Sounds like failure, right? He's preached, deaf ears. Man, this whole thing's just gone really, really bad. But there's a couple of good things in here that I wanted to kind of point out. As you see this enemy of death drawing near to, to Stephen, this is the, the last few moments of his entire life. Like he's going to die. And as the, the jaws of death begin to swallow up Stephen, he sees a window into heaven. He doesn't see the stomach of Satan. He sees the face of Jesus Christ. He beholds this picture of a living Jesus Christ. He saw God. I can't wait 
to see that, by the way. For all of those who have faith in Jesus, this is what you'll see. You'll see the face of Jesus, not the belly of Satan. So there's a great encouragement. This must be a great encouragement to Stephen in this moment, right? Now the crowd, still unconvinced, of course, they cast him out of the city, they stone him. And if you know your Bibles and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll, what he said should sound familiar to you, right? He gave up his spirit and he basically said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they've done. We can assume he probably saw his Lord and Savior do those things or heard about those things. I think the reason that Stephen was willing to give up his life for, for Jesus is because he knew that this was not his best life. I think we get that flip-flop sometimes. You know, you, of course, you know, cultural has these mantras of living my best life. This is not our best life. And there are too many Christians who are in love with today. They love the desires of the world, the cares of the world, their toys, their treasures, their cars, their houses, their family, their whole picture. They love today too much. I love today. I'm thankful God has given me today. But I know that this is not my best life. The best life for the Christian is the one that follows. And, and Stephen knew that. And that is the reason he was able to have courage even in the face of death. He gave his life for the gospel. You see why his name means crown now? I do. Another great thing about this death of Stephen here is it started a movement. Saul was a witness to this. And Saul later would recall, or Paul would later recall back to the stoning of Stephen and said that was a catalyst in his faith. Stephen's death influenced Paul, which Paul led to this worldwide missionary movement of the gospel to the entire ends of the earth. Church father Tertullian said this, you've heard this probably, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Stephen is the first martyr leading to the conversion of Paul. One, one, one commenter said this, the church owes Stephen for Paul. The church owes Stephen for Paul. The church needs to thank Stephen because of Paul or vice versa, thanks Paul because of Stephen. I think my hope is this, as we, we study this and we walk out and attempt to apply this to, to our lives, is that maybe the church would owe Stephen for you. That maybe we would be people that are looked at, that, that mimic the faith of Stephen, who are faithful in small things, who are calm in the face of the opposition and the unbelief of the world. 
that by faith we would preach the good news of the gospel. That by faith we would have great courage and endurance all the way to the very, very end. Imagine if we could do these things. What, what, would, what would the future of the world look like for our children that we so desperately care about? We do care about the future for our children. We're worried about these things. What impact would it have on your family, your generation, your grandchildren if we were to be faithful with these things? I think the, the last point here, really if there is a point, to wrap up on as every sermon ends up on. Even though Stephen here was the the first Christian martyr, he was not the first person to die for the church. Jesus Christ, of course, is the source of the inspiration of not only Stephen's faith, but our faith. Stephen was doing what he had seen Christ do, had heard Christ do. And this Jesus is always the source of our faith as well. This Jesus, he came to serve, not to be served. By being faithful in the little things. Jesus Christ, facing the greatest opposition the world has ever known, he remained calm. Remained calm. Never lost his cool. Jesus Christ preached. He preached the gospel. He preached to everyone around him that he was the point of the entire Old Testament. All of Israel, it points to me. I'm Jesus. He preached, he preached, he preached. And then, of course, he was courageous all the way to the cross. To the very, very end when he said, it is finished. He gave up his spirit and said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. The difference between Stephen and Jesus is that Stephen just died as an encouragement to us. Jesus died to give us eternal life. He died for us, for our sins to be forgiven so that we could be reconciled to God, that we become sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we could have eternal life in him. Faith in Jesus, church, is the only way to please God. There is no other way to please God other than faith in Jesus. Trust, confidence, fellowship, heart, love in Jesus. And the good news is when you put faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't just save your life, he changes your life. He gives you new desires, new affections, purpose, meaning, peace, joy, happiness, real happiness. He gives an abundance of promises and riches. Do you know Christ? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not faith in yourself. If all you're depending upon is faith in yourself, you'll never see the face of God. Only through Christ. And today you have an opportunity before you can be faithful in small things and calm in chaos and preaching and courageous. You have to be, you have to have faith in Christ first. 
Have you ever done that in your life? Remember, Stephen's preaching to religious people about faith in Christ. A lot of religious people, maybe you're a religious person here today. Still, the good news is available to you too. Only faith in Christ pleases God. You have an opportunity to respond in just a moment. Uh, Benji and Morgan, you guys come out. Let me talk to the believer for just a moment as I wrap up. Believers in Christ, maybe you're here today and you say, I do have faith in Jesus. But the reality is you've drifted. You have gone astray from what you believe. You have kind of gone into the way of living for self, neglecting the small things. I'm too busy. I'll do it later. Maybe, you, maybe you've not done, maybe you've not been calm in the chaos. Maybe you're a fighter. You've been losing your cool left and right. Maybe instead of preaching, you're privatizing your faith. Maybe instead of you being courageous, you've been a lot more cowardly. I've been there myself. Here's the good news. If that is you, you can once again turn to Christ, the forgiver of all sins, repent of those things, and walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel all of the time. So how is it today that you would need to respond to the word of God. I'm gonna give you a moment. The deacons are gonna come up and uh, be available. Let me tell you what they're available for as a reminder. For prayer. There's a, something you're feeling guilty about in your life or the Lord's convicting you or something you wanna take a step in giving your life to Christ or maybe it's to, hey, I wanna, I wanna serve. Deacons, go ahead and come on up. Y'all, y'all get into your spot if you can. They're available to put a, hand on your shoulder to remind you of God's grace. We have an embodied faith. We touch people. We hug them. We shake their hands. We smile. And uh, they're available for you to do that today as well. However the Lord would lead you in these next few moments, be faithful to it.